Thessalonians chapter 3. Thank you, Bob. And by the way, won't be too many more weeks. We have to wait for that thing to ratchet up, all right? We've got a new sound system that's coming, a new video system. Uh, we'll be able to see the words on screen, television screen, about 65 inch on each side. And so it will make things um, a lot more efficient, a lot more efficient. Anyway, today we're going to look at Second Thessalonians in chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 6 in just a moment. You know, my dad taught me a, a lot of things, and I'm sure if we had a number of people stand here, they would say the same thing about their fathers. But probably the greatest lesson my dad taught me was not in what he said, but what he did. My dad worked hard all of the time that I knew him. Dad was an early riser. Uh, he would get up at 5 a.m. It didn't matter if he went to bed at 1 a.m. He was just programmed to get up. I, I could never beat my dad in, in rising. And he worked hard, like I said, all of the time that I knew him. Even in his retirement, he arose early. And when he would rise up, he would be dressed for the day. Sometimes as pastor in his retirement years, I would stop by Appomattox if I was going to hospital in Lynchburg. I never saw him doing nothing. He might be preparing a lesson to preach in the prison or a Sunday school lesson, might be across the road volunteering, cutting the grass for the church. I might miss him because he was transporting someone to the VA hospital in Roanoke or Richmond. Dad was just always active. I laugh, even when he was in a memory care unit with full-blown Alzheimer's, he got up early, and it would be unusual, would not be unusual for mom and I to see him seated behind the desk because he served as a manager for years. He thought he was managing the facility that he was actually in, but he was up early, and he was busy. One of the best ways that I try to honor my father is by following his example of hard work. I'm not the most skilled in a number of areas, but I'll tell you this, whatever I try to do, I'm going to try to work, and I'm going to try to be industrious. You know, it feels good to be productive, doesn't it, no matter the age. It feels good at the end of the day to look at something that's accomplished, to feel like you've actually done something this day. Whether it be cutting the grass or studying for a lesson, simply put, God made us to work. God made us to work. But not everyone shares that same work ethic as my dad. I was reading an amusing yet sobering story of a man who visited his doctor and he asked his general practitioner after the exam, well, what's wrong with me? I'm just lethargic. He said, I've just not been feeling good. And the doctor said, very simply, you're just plain lazy. And to that, the patient responded, can you give me a scientific term for it so I can take it home to my wife and let her know? <laughs> you know, we laugh at that. But to be honest, and especially among many of our young today, we see signs of, in our society of what's called worklessness. It's a term that 
I, I developed, I don't know if I read it anywhere else, I don't think you would find it in a dictionary, but you understand what I'm saying, worklessness. Restaurants are closing their doors or at a minimum reducing hours because of a shortage of workers. Nursing homes are filled with residents, but there are too few workers. The ones who are there are being worked to death because of this problem of worklessness. Help wanted signs are like ants at a watermelon feast today. I don't understand how they can uh, transpose or uh, develop these numbers to say that unemployment is at an all-time low. Why is everyone trying to hire someone? It seems Paul sensed a similar situation in 2 Thessalonians as he writes in chapter 3, beginning at verse 7, or 6 rather. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. He said, Now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother or sister who is idle and does not live according to the tradition received from us. For you yourselves know how you should imitate us. We were not idle among you. We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and toiled working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. It is not that we don't have the right to support, but we did it to make ourselves an example to you so that you would imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They are not busy, but busy bodies. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this very important section in this post-COVID age, Father, we thank you for the gift of work. Father, work is not always easy, but Father, there's great fulfillment in being fruitful in our lives. So, Lord, speak in this hour to our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Paul wrote uh, his second letter to Thessalonica around 50 or 51 A.D., and one of the incorrect concepts that circulated around the church at Thessalonica was this, a misunderstanding of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the thought was this, some were saying, as we see in chapter 2 and verse 2 of this same book, and as we see elsewhere, it was this thought, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming imminently. Some have even said the day of the Lord has already come. It is upon us. He's coming. And, and the result of that, people looked to the imminent coming of Christ and they stopped working. And their mindset was this. If Jesus Christ is coming today or tomorrow and payday isn't until next week, why am I working? And that practically was, was what they were thinking. They weren't working for the love of work. They weren't working because God created them to work. They were working just for what they could get from it. And let me tell you today, if you're living this life just for what you can get from it, you'll never find it. You'll never find it. You only get through Jesus Christ what you need. It's not what you're going to get from this world. And I'll promise you this, that God is good. And God has created work, and work is good. So we see this issue of worklessness that was existing in the church at Thessalonica. And, and what they needed was a theology 
for work. You see, so many times we compartmentalize our lives. They're the things that are spiritual and the things that are not spiritual. And so we look at Sunday and our time of worship as, as uh, something that's spiritual and of God. But we might look at our jobs or we might look at other things as a separate entity. That's not what the scripture teaches. This morning, we're going to see a Christ, Christian theology for work. We're going to see what Paul has to say about the subject. And he really begins in verse 6 by warning them about staying away from every brother or sister who is idle or who is truant. We know what truancy is. Truant, uh, a truant person is one who's not where he or she needs to be, not doing what he or she needs to be doing. And Paul is warning the church at Thessalonica, individuals there, to avoid idle people, to av avoid people uh, that are demonstrating worklessness. And as we look today, we're not going to look at an exhaustive theology of work because really an exhaustive or a complete study of work and, and the theology of it would, would deal with three areas, how God is blessed through it. We'll look at that today, how we personally are blessed through it, and we're also going to look at that. But the third way is how society as a whole is benefited. And while I may briefly mention it, we're not going to as much focus on that today. But I want to look at three things today about work. And the first is this. Work provides for my needs. Work provides for my needs. Do you realize that God created work and it was good? A lot of people have the false notion that work is a result of the fall of man. No, it wasn't. God created man and gave him administration over the created order before the fall. It was only after man sinned that difficulty came through work. But, but that's the difficulty that came with it. That's why we get calluses in our, on our hands because of the sinfulness of man. That's why when we work in schools that we have uh, honorary types of students because all of these things that come along with work, the hardships of it, whether they be emotional or physical, are the result of the fall. But do not get the scriptures wrong. Work is not the result of the fall. God created us to work. From the very beginning, he determined that we should work. And you and I are best when we're working. We're best when we're productive. Paul begins with the personal benefit here that work brings. Look at what he says in verse 10. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. Now that sounds harsh coming from God. It's understood today that due to certain mental limitations or physical limitations, certain people are not able to perform work. It's understood that many people today have worked for a number of years and they are retired and maybe not working a public job, and that's understandable. But let's not be mistaken. God desires that we work. Work is the means for me to provide for myself in the power of God. That is what work is. Work provides to meet my needs. Think about this for a moment. If no one worked, where would we be? What would be produced? How would food be moved? A society that rewards worklessness is doomed. It's doomed. God desires that we work. 
If I don't work, even though I'm able to work, and you do work, guess who's holding up whom? I'm not holding you up. You're holding me up. Verse 10 says that some in Thessalonica, they were freeloading. They were leaning on other people. They were capable, but they were leaning on other people. And Paul doesn't give some profound doctrinal instruction. In effect, he says, work for your own good. Work to provide for your own needs. Paul calls them to work quietly in verse 12 and provide for themselves. You see, some of these people, they weren't working because they thought, oh, Jesus is coming back before payday. And you know what they were doing? They were running their mouths. They were busybodies. They were being loud. They were finding people who were working, and they were trying to say, don't work. It's not going to benefit you. And they were busybodies. They were running their mouths instead of working their bodies. I like to read uh, biographical um, accounts of individuals' lives, and uh, more than once I've read about Karl Marx, the father of Marxism, anti-capitalism, class conflict. He loved all of that stuff. Do you realize he's one of the laziest men ever to walk the face of the earth? He never worked a job. He lived off of his best friend Friedrich Engels, and you know all that Marx did was sit around and write his philosophies and his theories on economy and everything. He never worked. He lost everything he had, and he's going to try to tell people how to live. The scripture says, if anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. Work provides for my needs. Secondly, work protects me against fruitless activities. If I'm working and doing something constructive, then it is less likely that I'll be doing something that will be a detriment. King David was a man after God's own heart. He was a great man of God. But still, one of his most memorable sins, as we read the account in 2 Samuel chapter 11, happened when he was inactive. It says in 2 Samuel 11, it was the time when the kings went out to war. It was expected that he would go out and lead the military campaign, but he stayed home. And when he stayed home, he had an idle mind. What what does this saying go? An idle mind is what? The devil's workshop, the devil's playground, however you want to say that. But what was happening in the season when the kings should go out, he stayed back. Guess what? He wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing, and he began to do what he was not supposed to be doing. He looked through a window, and he saw Bathsheba. He lusted after her. He seduced her. It led to a terrible slide that affected not just him for a short time, but him for a number of years and his family. And the question we would have is this. What if he had gone to work? What if he had gone to work? God desires that we be constructive in our lives. Even if we're retired, the goal every day should be, I want to leave this day better than I found than I found it at the beginning. The goal every day, even in retirement, help me to do something constructive. Help me to, 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 to contribute to society. You see, you're going to do something with your time. Why not work? Why not be productive? Certain Thessalonians didn't heed such counsel. In verse 11, it says, rather than being busy, 
they were busy bodies. In other words, because they weren't consuming their time with productive work, they were going around trying to tell other people in the form of marks uh, what they ought to be doing, and, and it was distracting the people who were trying to work, and Paul is basically saying, quit doing that. Quit being busybodies. Consume yourself with work. It's good. Every day God gives you and me is a gift from him. And one of the ways we can return that gift is being productive. Colossians 3.17 is a great theme for living. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, it's not just enough for a Christian to work. A Christian is to work with a grateful heart to bring glory to God. You know, one thing I love doing is I study, when I go to fast food restaurants, when I go everywhere, I study owners of place. How are they? Are they, are they industrious? Are, and you know, and you've experienced this too, when you see someone working a job where many people don't work and you see that per person working hard, what do you think? That person's different. That person's different. I want to know what makes them different. As a Christian, when we work hard and people look at us day in and day out and we show up and we don't just punch the clock, but we're an example, we're an example, then it is attractive toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And so work uh, protects me against fruitless activities, and that leads to the final thing. Our, our lives should be a living testimony for the Lord. Work should produce a good testimony for the Lord. I read a comic strip this past week, and the first scene, a new employee was asking a long-term employee, how long have you been working for this company? He thought he was going to get an answer in a number of years. The guy replied, ever since they threatened to fire me. <laughs> Another boss was uh, making his way through the workplace, and he caught a man doing nothing. He said, why did I find you working? The employee responded, because I didn't see you coming. <laughs> We're not to work under the compulsion of a threat to be fired. We're not to work just because the boss is there. We're to work because the Lord sees us, and he's looking down at us. We're not even to work for a paycheck. Paul tells the servant to work, and not just when the master's living. That's what he's looking at. That's what... Colossians 3.22. Yeah, I learned a word a number of years ago, oxymoron. Oxymoron is a contrast in time. You might hear a poet say the dark light, darkness and light don't go together. I, I remember there's a scripture of an oxymoron, aspire to lead a quiet life. With Aspiring is an energy word, quiet is, is, is a calm word. There's an oxymoron that is around today that shouldn't, and that is lazy Christian. Christian should be an antithesis of laziness. He or she should not be lazy. Those two words go together. Listen, I don't think about retirement years. I'm not saying I'm going to work till 62, 65, 67. I'm not thinking that. I'm not saying it's wrong to think that. I'm just not thinking that but because I want to work as long as I'm able to. All right, and when I retire, I hope I'm still productive. When I was in seminary, I cleaned commodes for minimum wage, and that, that helped 
uh, provide for us. And Karen will tell you, we, we go in and we clean some of the nastiest places for the students that were coming the next time. Listen, don't be too prideful to do anything. Don't, don't, don't think you're better than anything. If you're too prideful to do any job, you're too prideful, period. A person too proud to work is too proud. We're not above any task. If we have management over people, we as Christians need to set an example in two ways. We need to work as hard as the people who work under us, and we need to have the respect. We need to have the respect. We don't need to be too tough that they fear us. We don't need to be too friendly. They don't respect us. They need to know that we love them. That is the responsibility. Paul was a tent maker. He worked in ministry. He was an itinerant preacher, an apostle. He was not above working to supplement his work in ministry. In fact, in verse 7, he says this, We were not idle among you, and we worked as an example to you that you would imitate us. Are you an example to those around whom you work? In a day where worklessness is all too prevalent, followers of Christ are to be a positive witness. Do you look at your old job as a platform for the Lord? Brother Lawrence did. Dad introduced me to Brother Lawrence a number of years ago. No, Brother Lawrence didn't live in this century. Brother Lawrence lived in the 1600s. But Dad introduced me to a book, a tiny booklet, called The Practice of the Presence of God. Brother Lawrence's faith was not lived out primarily in cathedrals and great public places of his day. No, his worship was in the kitchen where he labored and prayed this, Lord of all pots and pans and things, make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. To him, his work was his sanctuary. This 17th century monk, served in the kitchen, and is quoted as saying this, the time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament. That's a theology of work. What does it mean? My work is my offering to God. My work is my act of thanks and praise to God. Is your work studying? Study to the best of your ability, students. Is your work in retirement ministering to loved ones or family members or in the church? Do the best that you can. Are you of the working age? Do your job and do it the best. Are you the individual who is given oversight over other people? Don't be high-minded. Set an example of Christian work ethic. Your work is your worship to God. Notice what Paul writes in verse 8. We didn't eat anyone's food free of charge. We labored and toiled, worked night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. In other words, he didn't want to be a burden to anyone else. He wanted to be an example. He said, isn't it right that we could have expected to support, verse 9, but we wanted to be an example to you. I hear people complain about work. I see people not work. I see people who only work if they feel they get what they deserve. But the world needs to see Christians who work for the love of work, who have a right theology of work, who get up every day, do the best that they can 
knowing that whether the boss is looking or not, the Lord is looking. Not expecting to get what's my part. In a day marked by worklessness, we have the opportunity to show the world what it means for a Christian to work. So work and work with the right attitude. Don't just work when the boss's eye is on you. Even though it's not fun to do, there are times when you're just going to have to pick up the slack of those who are slack. Don't be a slacker. Bring glory to God in what you do. And if you have the health, apply yourself to constructive days. So at the end of the day, you've not been a parasite living off that 24 hours, but you've been a contributor for the good and for God's glory. Yeah, I'm thankful I had a dad who worked. Even when his mind was gone, he thought he was working. Every day, he sought to do something constructive, and I witnessed it. I witnessed it. But my earthly father pales in comparison to my heavenly father who created this beautiful world that we live in. It's a product of his work, and then he rested. But Jesus said that he worked when he was on this earth, and he saw where the father was working, and he joined with the father in the work. You see, God who gave us work himself is a worker. And one of the greatest ways, I talk about honoring my earthly father, one of the greatest ways you can honor your heavenly father is by being industrious. So whatever task is before you, attack it for his glory and make the day better than you found it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for the gift of work. Lord, I realize that there are people who are retired here. There are people who, due to physical uh, limitations, are not able to do what they could do. But, Father, every one of us can be constructive in some manner or another, whether it be in retirement or not. Father, we thank you for the gift of work. We thank you for the fulfillment that accomplishing things in your strength brings to us and we thank you more than anything for Jesus work on the cross that paid the price for our sin and we pray it in Jesus name amen